0: Once more, welcome everyone. Welcome especially those of you in the overflow this morning, the Franklin campus, Perry, Oklahoma. We love all of you so much. Please take your Bibles together with us and open them to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Take a Bible this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. If you're in this room with me, take a Bible out of the pew in front of you there and open to Luke chapter 22. Keep it open because we're going to use our Bibles quite a bit this morning because we're looking at one of the most passionate and honestly, one of the most chilling questions that you'll find in Scripture, in, in preparing to preach this sermon, in, in preparing to read this story and look at this character and ask this question together, I'm telling you, this has uh, really been heavy, heavy upon my heart. This is difficult and a very, very difficult thing for us to consider. The passionate question for this morning is, are you betraying me with a kiss? And many of you know the story of how Jesus was betrayed by one who would have been one of his friends. Let's start in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to jump over to verse 47. Uh, Just follow along in the story with me, if you will. Luke chapter 22, verse 1 is where we'll begin. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him money. Do you remember how much? 30 pieces of silver, that's right. Verse 47, flip forward in the chapter. This is after Gethsemane, after Jesus has prayed at Gethsemane. The story picks up in verse 47. Even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached led by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And One of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. Take your seats. Betrayed him with a kiss. It's really rather unbelievable. I know we're so used to reading this story and thinking about the Judas kiss that it almost doesn't affect us anymore, but but he betrayed him with a kiss. You know, of course, in the ancient culture that men would greet one another with a kiss in the way that we shake hands today. The word kiss here comes from the word for love, which is phileo, which is the same word we get the city of Philadelphia, the city of... Brotherly love. That word phileo means brotherly love. And this word kiss here comes from that word for love. It's a brotherly kind of kiss. It is a sign of friendship. It is a sign of fellowship and intimacy. It's a sign of love. And when Judas decided to betray Jesus, to betray him to his death, he chose the sign of a kiss. Now why would he do this in the first place? It's a question that people have asked for for generations. Why would Judas betray Jesus in the first place? You've got to understand that in the beginning, Judas was not a traitor. All of the lists of the disciples in the Gospels always list Judas at the end, always list his name last, and they will always say that Judas is the one who became the traitor. He became the traitor, but he was not a traitor at the first I really don't understand, and it's one of the most difficult things to explain how a man like Judas could become a traitor. Remember, he left everything and followed Jesus. Remember that. Remember when the scripture says that the 12 disciples would go out, and in the name of Jesus, they would heal the sick, and they would even cast out devils. Judas was one of them. Remember that on the day that Jesus fed the 5,000 and he let the disciples take the baskets and serve the people. Judas was one of those disciples. He watched the bread in his own basket multiply and feed thousands. He was there. He saw it. He touched it with his own hands. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He knew who Jesus was and he followed him. He followed him everywhere. He followed him. So why would he betray him? Bible scholars have struggled with the question. And and honestly, in a lot of ways, we've accepted the answers that they've given us. Some Bible scholars say that that Judas was perhaps uh, what they would call a zealot. In in the Bible days, they're called zealots. We would probably call them today terrorists. Terrorists. Judas was a kind of Israeli terrorist. Judas was one of those men who believed strongly that that Israel should be a free country, that the Roman Empire should not have taken over, not have invaded, that Israel should not belong to Rome or Caesar, that the Roman soldiers had no place there, and and the zealots were a kind of of terrorist who would try to stir up violence and, and stir up war and try in some way to start the revolution that would bring Israel its freedom again. That's who the zealots were, and maybe Judas was one of those terrorists, one of those zealots who just wanted to somehow start the fire that would burn for freedom in Israel. Uh, According to those lines, what Judas was actually doing was was trying to force Jesus' hand. Some scholars say that, that Judas did believe in Jesus. He truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that had come to bring salvation, but it wasn't moving quickly enough for Judas. So the scholars say that maybe Judas somehow betrays him as a way of getting things rolling, getting it started. It would be the equivalent of of trying to force Clark Kent into the phone booth so he can pop out with a giant S on his chest. It's that sort of thing. Put Jesus in a situation where he has to use his power, where he has to be triumphant. Start the battle so that Jesus can win the victory. That's what some scholars say. I guess that's possible. The problem that I have with that, as often as I've read it, as much as I've heard it, the problem is that's not what scripture says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't tell us that Judas betrayed Jesus because he wanted to force his hand, because he was a zealot, because he wanted to start the fight that Jesus could end. That's not what the Bible says. Not at all. Now take your Bibles. Turn back to John, the Gospel of John chapter 6. Take a walk in Scripture with me. John chapter 6, verse 70. This is as early in Jesus' ministry as the feeding of the 5,000. This is the story. But, But at this point, Jesus says these words. John chapter 6, verse 70. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a, say the word, devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. I chose the 12 of you, Jesus said, but one of you is a a devil. Turn back to John chapter 13, verse 2. John chapter 13, verse 2. Now we are at the Last Supper in, in the upper room. John chapter 13, verse 2. It was time for supper, and the, say the word, devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Let's skip down to verse 21. We're at the Last Supper. John chapter 13, verse 21. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So so that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. Now stop right there. This is a Jewish supper. And at a Jewish supper, this is a supreme sign of honor and friendship. If you take the bread and dip it in the bowl and then offer that to someone at the table, you offer it to the guest of honor. You offer it to one that you love. This is a sign of friendship and honor. So Jesus said, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Well, you could call him a zealot, and that's what the scholars like to do. The problem is, that's not what the Bible says. That's not the explanation that the scripture gives. If you want to understand why Judas would betray Jesus, you're going to have to recognize what the Bible says. He was evil, he was evil. No, we're not used to saying that about people, are we? And right now so you're saying, Brother Tim, you shouldn't say somebody's evil. You, you can't say that. That's judging. Judge not. That's what we all have trained ourselves to say. But, but I'm saying it. He, he was evil. How can we not say that the man who betrayed the Son of God to death and did so with the kiss, how can you not say that that's not evil? He, he's Evil. He, evil. There are probably a world of ways in which Judas could have indicated which one was Jesus. That's all he was going to do. The soldiers are going to arrest him. The soldiers are going to crucify him. Judas is paid just simply to help the soldiers know which one is Jesus. They don't know which one is Jesus. But Judas knows him. Judas is trusted. And Judas can get the soldiers close enough, they presume. And all Judas has to do is indicate which one is Jesus... He could have done it from behind a bush. He could have done it in any any number of ways. He could have just simply said, hey, is the dude in the middle of the garden with the big yellow halo behind his head. He could have done it in a thousand ways. But Judas chooses one way, and this is his choice. He chooses to do it with a kiss. He wants to do it in such a way where he can look him in the eye. He wants to do it in such a way where it is dramatic, where it is a mockery. He wants to hurt Jesus. He wants to make this an incredible moment, and he's doing it because he's evil. He looks him in the face, kisses him, and the scripture doesn't just mean he pecks him on the cheek one time. He kisses him over and over and over, looking him in the eye and betraying him to be killed. He's evil. It's evil. The scripture makes it clear he's evil. So how can we even talk about that? I mean, honestly, we're not used to that. We're not used to calling people evil. And some of you still aren't even comfortable, even though I'm talking about Judas. You're still thinking we shouldn't do that, that we can't do that. We can't call somebody evil. Well, if it'll make you feel better, I think we're all evil. I think I could use the word and apply it to every one of us. Jesus did. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father know how to give you good gifts? Understand, Jesus called us all evil. So on the one hand, it's a word that applies to every single one of us. Because we're sinners, because we have evil, sinful tendencies, we all could be called evil. Absolutely, it's a word that applies. We're all sinners, all of us, evil. But I want to go further. I want to say that there is a a line that you can cross. And I really believe this. I think there is a line that can be crossed where the kind of evil that, that, that you've given yourself over to, the kind of evil that you've chosen, I think there's a line you can cross where we can say you have become evil. Not just evil in the way that other people are evil. I think there's a line that can be crossed where you have absolutely gone full blown down the path toward evil. If there is a path of righteousness, as the scripture says, there must also be a path of evil. And I think a lot of people choose it and a lot of people walk it all the way to the end. And I think we can call them evil. I'm not judging. Maybe I am, but I think it's true. I think some people are evil. There's a famous book by a, a psychiatrist named M. Scott Peck. He wrote the book The Road Less Traveled, which I don't love. The book People of the Lie is interesting, though. Scott Peck became a Christian. He was, an, he was an agnostic atheist psychiatrist who became a Christian because in his practice of treating people and talking to people who were deeply troubled, M. Scott Peck came to the conclusion that there must be a devil. He started believing in God because he felt like he met the devil in his job as a psychiatrist. And one of the families that tipped it over for him was the parents of a boy named Bobby. Bobby was 15 years old when he was first brought into Dr. Peck's office. Bobby was brought in because his, uh, his brother had committed suicide in the month of June. His brother had shot himself in the head with a 22 rifle. After that, Bobby himself, the little brother, became very depressed. But his depression became remarkably and noticeably more serious just after Christmas. And just after Christmas, the school referred Bobby to Dr. Peck. Fifteen-year-old Bobby came in and sat down, and he stared at the floor, and he picked at scabs on the back of his arm, and he wouldn't look up, and he wouldn't talk. Dr. Peck just kept trying to get the boy to talk, to somehow break the ice, loosen him up, and, and get him somehow to, to begin opening up. And Bobby wouldn't. He was just sitting there picking the scabs on the back of his hand. And so finally, Dr. Peck just thought, we're just past Christmas. I'll talk about Christmas. So he said, but Bobby, what did you get for Christmas? What did you get for Christmas? Bobby was picking the scab on the back of his hand, and he said, A gun? Doctor Peck said, "You got a gun for Christmas? That, that's a strange gift. What kind of gun?" Bobby said, "A, a 22. It's a, a 22 pistol." Bobby said, "No, it was it was a 22 rifle." Doctor Peck said, "Was that what you asked for?" Bobby said, "No. What did you ask your parents for for Christmas?" a tennis racket but they gave you a gun yes he said and the chill just started coming over dr peck as he realized what had happened and he said you said that your parents gave you a, a 22 rifle I, I thought that you said that your brother killed himself with a 22 rifle bobby said yes so dr peck said how did it feel for your parents to give you the same kind of gun that your brother killed himself with? Bobby said, it wasn't the same kind of gun. Dr. Peck said, okay, now I'm confused. I, I thought you said that, that your brother killed himself with a 22 rifle. Bobby said, that's right. It wasn't the same kind of gun. It was the gun. Parents wrapped up the suicide weapon of one son and gave it to his brother. I'm telling you, I think there's a line that people cross. You're saying, well, I don't know if that's evil. That's just twisted. That's just demented. I don't care what you call it. I think the Bible would call it evil. I think it's evil. And I really do think that while there's a path of righteousness through Christ, I do believe that there is a path of evil. And I think people choose it. I know that they choose it. Now, I'm not saying that an evil person is necessarily going to be a devil worshiper. I'm not saying that at all. I think that evil people don't even have to believe in the devil. You don't have to believe in the devil to be evil. I don't necessarily think that evil people are running around, you know, biting the head off a bat on the steps of the Franklin courthouse. I'm not saying that either. I don't really think that that's what evil looks like, to be honest. I think evil looks a whole more like people like you, people like me. I think evil looks a whole lot more... Like people like Judas, do you understand? I, I really don't think it's what you're always thinking when you picture evil. I think that it's, it's much more everyday. Flip back now to John chapter eight verse forty-four. John chapter eight verse forty-four. If you won't listen to me, then listen to Jesus. John chapter eight verse forty-four. Jesus is talking here to the Pharisees. Jesus is talking to the most religious crowd, the most religious men in the land. He's talking to religious people. And notice what he says in John chapter 8 verse 44. You are the children of your father, the say the word, devil. You are the children of your father the devil. And I remind you, he's talking to religious people. Why do you think he would be calling religious people evil? Because they are, notice what he says, you are children of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does. Underline that, you love to do the evil things the devil does. It doesn't matter if you believe in the devil, it doesn't matter if you even think about the devil, it just so turns out you happen to love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a, say the word, liar and, say, the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. If you want to get a really good idea of what evil is, what it means to be not children of the Lord, children of God, but children of the devil, come to this verse right here. Let's take it apart. What is Jesus saying? And I remind you he's talking to religious people, religious people. Religious people can be evil. Let's take Judas as an example. He was a disciple of Jesus. Judas was right there with them, right there in the middle of them. Judas enjoyed three years of close fellowship, direct teaching, face-to-face intimacy with Jesus. Judas enjoyed that. He had all of the benefits of walking and talking and living with Jesus. And yet there's something that never happens in his heart. While Judas gives Jesus his life, I would say Judas never gives to Jesus his heart. You can see a progression. You can see a kind of spiritual growth in the other disciples. They are on a path that leads them to salvation and leads them to holiness. They are on a path of righteousness, I would say. In the course of their lives, following after Christ, they become more and more like Christ. But Judas is on a different path. Even though he's in the religious crowd and even though he's even one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he's on a different path. The three years with Jesus do not lead him closer to Jesus. They lead his heart further away. Judas is not becoming more like Christ. He's becoming more like the devil, more like his father, the devil. There is a progression in his life as well, but he's moving in the opposite direction. Do you understand? The scripture says, you are of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Just a little rule of thumb, and I really want you to think about this. When all the things that the devil loves turn out to be all the things that you love, I'd say you're on the path to evil. When all of the things that the devil loves turn out to be the things that you love, I'd say you're on the path to evil. It's really not that complicated. It's not that complicated. Judas has a kind of hardening that happens in his heart, and it's not all of a sudden. It's a slow kind of bitterness that grows, I promise you, when Judas first left everything to follow Jesus, I think he believed. And I think he believed in the end, but I believe that he turned. He knew who Jesus was, but he deliberately, intentionally turns away. I say that's evil. It's an evil tendency, and it's a tendency that might be in every one of us, but most of us don't do that. We turn toward Christ. We love Jesus more. We walk with him. We grow to be like him. But I'm telling you, some of the religious crowd in Jesus' day, some of his disciples, Judas himself, and some of those religious crowd in our day are on that same path. They may be in the church, they may call themselves Christians, but they are on a separate path. And it's by their own choosing. Their hearts are not becoming softer. Their hearts are becoming harder. Harder. I think the first thing you see is that hardening of the heart. I mean, just think about it. You you, you sit in this house Sunday after Sunday. You sit in the church where you attend and you listen to the preaching. You listen to the word of God. And every time the Spirit speaks to your heart, you just say no. Every time you read a passage of scripture that would tell you that the way you're living is sinful, you ignore that. Every time God says that you've got to make some changes in your life, that you must repent, you ignore that voice. And I'm telling you, the longer you ignore it, the easier it is to ignore. And guess what? Before long, you won't even hear that voice anymore. It's not because Jesus doesn't love you. It's not because he won't still forgive you. Not because he won't receive your repentance. It's simply because your heart gets hard and you will no longer turn back. You don't listen. The longer you say no, the easier it is to say no. And before long, your whole life will be going in the opposite direction. There's a hardening of the heart, you understand. You are... Children of your father, the devil, Jesus says, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the, say the word, truth. He hates the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I think this is the second characteristic of of the people who are on that path to evil. It has something to do with lying, something to do with living a life that is completely contradictory to the truth. I think this is exactly why so many people who are really on the path to evil come to church. I think it's why you find so many people who actually, their hearts belong to evil, but they love to come to church because honestly, evil people will live a lie. They are liars because they resemble their father, who is the father of lies. We talk about hypocrites in the church. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the person who honestly has no real desire to be good, but has an intense desire to look good. You listening? No real desire to be good, but an intense desire to look good. And that's what brings you to church on Sunday, perhaps. It's not really a desire to follow Christ. It's not really a desire to let Christ transform you to be the woman, to be the man that he created you to be. It has more to do with keeping up appearances. More to do with looking good. No intense desire to be good. This is what I'm talking about. This is the lie that the evil person will live. Just think about Judas. Around that table at the Last Supper, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, the amazing thing about that moment is that there's not a person at that table, not a person at the table who says, bet it's Judas. I bet it's Judas. Nobody suspected him. Nobody knew that he was living a lie. We pick up a little detail in the scripture, which reminds us that then the circle of disciples, they chose one person to keep everybody's money. Now, if this were the disciples right here, and I said, all of you from now on, one person's going to hold the purse, which one of you would you pick? Don't even tell me. You would probably pick the most trustworthy, the most honest, the one most likely to to keep the money, the one least likely to run to the mall and blow it, you know, on on bubble gum and candy, understand? You would absolutely give the money to the person most trustworthy. And when the disciples were electing the treasurer, somebody nominated Judas, and everybody else that I make a motion nomination, cease. He was the most trusted. The most obvious choice, they let him keep the money. It was a lie he was living. Nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. There's this wonderful moment in scripture where the woman, you remember Mary, she uses the very, very expensive perfume to anoint Jesus before his death. And somebody throws a fit about that. Do you remember who it was? It was Judas, and what did he say? Well, that's a waste of money. Well, that, that perfume is priceless. It could be sold, and we could give that money to the poor. We should be giving that money to the poor. See, that's that everybody feels guilty, because all of a sudden Judas looks a whole lot more religious than everybody else. He's thinking about the poor. But what does the Scripture say? He wasn't thinking about the poor. He was just thinking if they could get the money from that perfume in the treasury, then he could get it in his pocket. That would have been a good day to start his Senate campaign. Do you understand? If we can get the money into the treasury, we can say we're going to give it to the poor, but we'll just get it in our pockets. That's Judas. Make a great congressman. Great congressman. It's a lie that he's living. And everybody believes it. And for the life of me, I can't really say that Judas doesn't believe it himself. That's the thing about evil. It always has to do with lies. The devil is the father of lies, and he'll always capture you with a lie. My hunch is Judas is deceived himself. He probably really does think that he's the only one in the whole room who's righteous. That's the incredible lie of it all. He's living a lie. People on that path to evil... Their life becomes that, a life of lies. One person at school, another person at church, one person at work, another person at home. It's living a lie, and you've lived it so long, you hardly even stop to recognize that there's no truth in you anymore. I'm telling you, that's a tremendous sign that you're on the path to evil when your life becomes surrounded by secrets, when you have to make sure that your wife never ever sees your cell phone, when you have to beat your husband to the mailbox, when you have so many secrets to keep, I'm telling you, you're flirting with evil. Evil has to do with lies. Evil has to do with avoiding the truth. A liar and the father of lies, the devil is. If that sounds like you, you may be starting to look like your father, the devil. That's what Jesus says, not me. He was a murderer from the beginning. Well, Brother Tim, there you go. I ain't killed nobody. I wouldn't hurt a flea. <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't. But there's something about evil. Remember the scripture says that Jesus says, I have come that they might have life. I've come to give you life, an abundant life. This is the spirit of Jesus. This is what Jesus does. Jesus brings life, but not just living. It's a, it's a full kind of life, and an abundant kind of life. Jesus doesn't just bring life. He brings peace and joy and happiness and forgiveness and grace and fills life with lots of good things. And see, the devil is the opposite of that. Don't ever forget that the word evil is the word live spelled backwards. Evil is live spelled backwards. And so the devil in his work, he's always taking away from the quality of life. He may not kill you, but if he can suck all of the joy, if he can suck all of the happiness and peace out of life, then he'll do that. You understand? He's a murderer. He is not on the side of life. He is on the side of death. And if he can make people's lives a living hell, the devil is delighted to do that. And there are people in the world like that too. There are people in the world like that. They are not on the side of life. They're not on the side of peace and getting along. They're not on the side of what's good for everybody. They're on the side of what's good for them always in it for themselves. Evil is always self-centered. Evil always cares nothing about the others. There is no empathy in Judas. There is no real concern for Jesus in his life, no concern for anyone but himself, you understand? Because his father, the devil, is a murderer, a murderer from the beginning. I know how the story ends. I know that there is the moment when Judas starts to see what's happening that the scripture seems to indicate that he had some remorse. He goes back to the priests, back to the ones who paid him the 30 pieces of silver and he says, I've betrayed an innocent man. Is he sorry? Is he repenting? Is he remorseful? Because what does he do next? He goes out and Hangs himself. You know what I've come to think in reading the scripture? I think he would rather die than repent. He would rather die than repent. Peter denied Jesus too, but Peter's heart was different. Peter came back to Jesus, and Jesus was able to take him back. Judas won't come back. He would rather die than repent. As pastor, that's what frightens me. It's what frightens me for people who can sit in pews for years and years and years, But it seems as if they're truly on a different kind of path. I mean, honestly, some of us have been in church so many years. Shouldn't something have really taken hold of our lives by now? Shouldn't there really be a a sort of changing of priorities? Shouldn't there really be some progress down that path of holiness and becoming more like Christ? I mean, shouldn't something have been happening, a a softening of your heart? Shouldn't your family begin to see a different kind of man at home by now? Shouldn't the people who know you best not have to be the very ones who have to keep your secrets for you? This is what concerns me. It's not so much that you'll go so far that God won't love you. I know he'll love you. I know that there's no way you can stray so far that the Lord's hand still will not reach you. It's not that I'm afraid that some of your heart grows so hard that that, that Jesus can't forgive you or, or can't save you. That's not my concern. I do not doubt for a moment what God can do. My concern is that you go so far that you just won't come back, that your heart grows so hard that you become so set in the concrete of your lies, in the concrete of the lie that you're living that you'll never ever for the life of you begin to tell the truth about yourself, that you'll never begin to see the truth about yourself. That's my concern. It's not so much that God won't love you or save you. It's that one of these days you'd rather die lost than repent. That's my concern. Maybe you'd be more comfortable just calling him a zealot. Maybe that's easier for you to think, that that he had some sort of misplaced motives to to help Jesus along, that his heart was in the right place, he just really had some things. No, I, I don't go there. I don't believe that. That's not what the scripture says. Something happened to Judas along the way. Instead of choosing Christ, he chose evil. He chose the path to evil, and that determined the way his life Turned out. I'm suggesting that there are people today, and perhaps people in the sound of my voice, who are also on that very same path to evil. I promise you, I'm not judging. But I'm begging you to judge yourself. I I beg you to judge for yourselves. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, he betrayed you with a kiss, a sign of friendship, a sign of love. He walked all the way across that garden so that he could look you in the eye and smile and plant the kiss of death on your cheek. It's hard for us to understand a heart so cold, a heart so evil. Until we look in the mirror. God, none of us perhaps will ever betray you with a kiss, but we will betray you with our lives. We will betray you, Lord, not so much with our Sunday morning, but with our Saturday night, Lord. We will betray you, Lord. Make no mistake, we will betray you. We can read the story of Judas and never, ever look in the mirror. Lord, God, help us. Lord, truly, there are bound to be people, Lord, in this house today, people in the sound of my voice, who have not even yet recognized the way they have uh, withdrawn from you, the distance they've walked away from you. Lord, they hardly recognize the, the truth of their lives, the lie that they're living. Lord, I pray that cold, hardened hearts in this house today will soften. Oh, God, soften our hearts Lord, those in this house who are right now de- deliberating, right now choosing, Lord, between the path that leads to you, the path that leads to being more like you, and the path of evil, Lord. I pray that they will stop as they decide. I pray that they'll look long down the road. I pray, Lord, that you'll put all of us, all of our feet on the path of righteousness, the path of faith, path of following Jesus. Jesus, I pray for that heart in this house that needs to repent today. That heart that's heard the gospel message time after time after time and has said no every single time. Lord Jesus, I pray that that heart softens before it's too late. Lord Jesus, I pray that we will begin to hear the sound of hearts turning to you in this moment of worship. Even now, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.